um, on March 13th and March 20th. Now, uh, last week, I mentioned something. I mentioned something that maybe had, was shocking to some, maybe for others you understood this, but it made you think about this. Last week, I mentioned that your faith is the more, most important thing you have. Your faith in God is your trust in him. That's what your faith is, your trust in God. And without trust in who God is as he's revealed himself, one cannot have a relationship with God. And this is why Jesus is so important. This is why Jesus has become the central figure that I think every nation in every conversation has at one time has centered their life or tried to figure out who he is. And this is why I believe there is a question that stands above every other question that is more important than any other question. And it's a question that we all need an answer to. Who is Jesus? I believe who is Jesus is the most important question. It's the most important question to you. And the reason I believe this is because of this. Who you believe Jesus to be will determine how you respond to him. Who you believe Jesus to be will determine how you live your life in response to him. For instance, if you believe that Jesus is only a first century religious leader, you will only respond to him and you're gonna live your life as if he's only a historical figure. If Jesus is only a legend that was created by man to make God into a man, then then you will live your life in response to him and ignore him. If Jesus is only a prophet, like Muhammad, then you will only see him as someone who made a claim like others, but there's no reason to listen to him. If Jesus is a good moral teacher and only a good moral teacher, then you may only think, and you're gonna live in response to that, and you may think that his teachings are something that people should consider, but not follow. See, whatever you've thought about who Jesus is, and whatever that, how, how you thought in, in respect to who he is, you've lived your life in response to your idea of who Jesus is. Now, I want to ask another question. Who did Jesus claim that he was? Who did Jesus make the claim that he was? This question is more important than what your parents claimed about Jesus or your grandparents claimed about Jesus. Who Jesus claimed he was is more important than what your, what your, your, your friends think about Jesus. And who Jesus claimed he was is more important than what that person on YouTube says about Jesus or what that college professor claimed about Jesus. See, what Jesus claimed about himself is more important than any other claim anyone else could make about him. See, what Jesus claimed about himself will determine if he's a liar, if he's a lunatic, or God. What Jesus claimed, think about this for a second. If Jesus made claims about what he could do and then he couldn't do it, then he is definitely a liar. If Jesus made claims that elevated himself to deity, well, the best way I could illustrate this, how many of you have a sibling? I have a sibling. What would it look like if your sibling at 31 or 32 years old went public, went on a Facebook, went out into the streets and began telling people and teaching people that he or she was God? What would you think about him or her? You would think she's crazy. 
you would think he's lost his mind. He is a lunatic. Jesus claims about himself will determine if he's a liar that we shouldn't listen to, much less follow, or it will determine if he's a a lunatic that we should ignore, or he is who he claimed that he is, God, a big, bold claim. Watchman Nee in his book, Normal Christian Faith, wrote this in 1936 when this was published. A person who claims to be God must belong to one of three categories. First, if he claims to be God and yet in fact is not, he has to be a madman or a lunatic. Second, if he is neither God nor a lunatic, he has to be a liar deceiving others by his lie. Third, if he is neither of these, he must be God. You can only choose one of the three possibilities. If you do not believe that he is God, you have to consider him a madman. If you cannot take him for either of the two, you have to take him for a liar. There is no need for us to prove if Jesus of Nazareth is God or not. All we have to prove, all we have to do is find out if he is a lunatic or a liar. If he is neither, he must be the son of God. This is why the most important question you can ask is who is Jesus? This is why we're doing this series with all these churches around the world. And we are looking at the seven claims Jesus makes through the book of John. And so you can see and you can read and you can come to your own understanding who Jesus claimed he was. And you can decide for yourself who he is. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, and you may not believe like we do, we, I, we invite you to join us every week. I enjoy you to jo- invite you to join us here in person. If you can't make it in person, be with us online. And it's my hope that you, that as you wrestle with what Jesus claimed about himself, that you seriously take a serious look, that you take a serious look at the evidence that supports his claim. And for those of you that may be new to your faith or you may be a new believer in Jesus, my prayer is that you, your faith in your, your, this series anchors your faith in deeper in who Jesus is so that your faith can grow stronger. And for those who have been walking with Jesus and you've been a believer in Jesus for a while, a while my prayer is that your faith grows and that your faith is equipped, that you are equipped to share this faith with those who are far from God. And also that you are able to share this faith and help equip others to grow and disciple them in their faith. So what did Jesus claim about himself? Well, I want us to look at this by diving into the middle of the book of John, into John chapter eight. And I need to warn you, if you as you're going to there uh, in your Bibles, it's also gonna be in your notes that for those of you that have the notes or the app today with you, uh, we're gonna look at John chapter eight, but I need to warn you about something that this series, this entire series is going to be an equal um, uh, opportunity offender, Okay. What I mean by that is, is you, um, it will offend, offend all of us at some time or on some level. And if you don't like to be offended, let me just c- encourage you to consider something that maybe the reason, because I had to self-reflect on why I don't like to be offended. I want you to consider that the reason we may not like to be offended is because we think 
that we are right. So let me set up John chapter 8. Because in John chapter 8, Jesus just offended the religious elite. They thought they had the best understanding of the true God. They thought they knew God. They believed that they were right about who God was. And in a world that worshiped multiple gods, many gods were worshiped, the Hebrew religious leaders, the elite of this, they believed that they had an inside track on the only true God. And not only did they have the inside track, they had the evidence to prove that their claim about who the real God was, was true. And these experts in the religious, uh, in the Hebrew scriptures and the Hebrew laws held themselves to be superior because of their understanding, their understanding, their knowledge of the scriptures and of what they understood about God. And Jesus offends them all the way through chapter eight. He offends them by beginning to tell them that he knows something about God that they don't know. And if people would follow him, that they then will see the light because he came from God. And this offends the religious, religious leaders because they thought they had the truth. They thought they had the light that illuminated who God was. They were the experts on God in scripture. And if that didn't offend them, then Jesus tells them, he would go on to tell them, if you knew me, you would know God. He would know, if you knew me, you would know God as well, putting him at equal level with God. And then Jesus does something so offensive. He calls them all sinners by telling these religious elite that they will all, and not just them, everyone will die in their sins. And if you don't think you're a sinner and someone calls you a sinner, guess what happens? You get offended by that. And this is exactly what happens. And then Jesus turns to them. In verse 23, John records how he continues this conversation. He says, you are from below. Offensive right here. You're from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, that I am God, you will indeed die in your sins. And look how the religious leaders respond. Who are you? They asked. Who are you? Who is Jesus? That's why I believe this is the most important question we can ask. See, the religious leaders thought at this moment, Jesus was either a liar or he was a lunatic. And now we have to ask a question. Why did John put this in the middle of his writing, in, this, in the midpoint of his biographical account of Jesus? Why did John include this? John knew who Jesus was. John wanted all of his readers to know who Jesus was. And he wanted all his readers to know what Jesus claimed about himself so they too would believe in Jesus. And John didn't make this up. He saw Jesus with his very own eyes. He heard these words with his very own ears. And this is why he wrote this entire account. And he would put the reason he wrote this into this biographical account in John chapter 20, when he would write, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe. We've looked at that word in the last couple of weeks, that that word believe is also used in English and as faith and trust, that you may have faith, that you may trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, by trusting, you may have life 
in his name. Because there's something special about who Jesus is and his name. And John wrote this so that those who read this, you and I today could be included. And that we would read this account and will believe as he did that who and who Jesus is. And so by believing in who Jesus is, we wouldn't face and people wouldn't face the fate of not believing in Jesus and not believing in who Jesus was, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Who is Jesus is the most important question we can ask. And what Jesus claimed about himself is so important to know because whoever Jesus claimed to be will determine what you believe about him. And Jesus claimed that those who choose not to believe that he is from God and that he is God will die bound in their sins. See, whether or not we believe or trust in who Jesus is will determine if we remain bound in our sins. It will determine our eternity if it's with God forever who is life or is without God and we suffer eternal death. See, if we believe, we will be set free, as Jesus says, from being enslaved by sin and being set free by the Savior of our sins. Jesus claimed he was the only one who could set people free from being enslaved to sin, which leads to eternal death. And this offended the religious elite. He would go on to say in John chapter 8, verse 31, that to the Jews who had believed him, to the Jews who had trusted in him, Jesus said to them, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus in this moment, again, offends the religious leaders with this statement because they are direct descendants of Abraham. And what was recorded in Leviticus 25 verse 42, the Israelites were God's people and they are slaves to no one. So by Jesus saying you need to be set free, he was indicating they were slaves and that they were not the people of God. They did not belong to God. And even though they don't have political freedom in this time, these religious elite, the religious people thought they were the people of God and that God had set them free. And then Jesus, as if he hadn't offended them, he begins to speak more freely and boldly, calling these religious people. And I say this, these are his words. You can read this in John 8. He calls them children of Satan. And the reason he calls them children of Satan is because they're not holding on to the truth that Jesus teaches. And then Jesus would say this in verse 45. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I am telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. See, to not believe in Jesus is to not belong to God. Talk about an offensive statement to people who thought they belonged to God. Maybe that's an offensive statement to you. And then the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And in this way, it's like they try to hit Jesus with an unfair jab. 
In this way, they, they attempt to give Jesus, and, and, and they despise Jesus and show their, their, their despise for Jesus, calling him a Samaritan. And, and because Jews looked down on Samaritans, they despised them. Samaritans were half Jew and half Greek. But Jesus was neither a Samaritan. He was not a Samaritan. He was fully Jewish and neither was he demon-possessed. He was certainly not demon-possessed. And Jesus denies their claims. And then Jesus says something. He says, very truly. And anytime you read very truly or in other translations, it'll say truly, truly. You need to lean in because Jesus is about ready to drop a truth bomb you need to understand and you need to know. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Whoever obeys my word will never see death because to obey Jesus is to believe in Jesus. And whoever obeys and believes Jesus will never see eternal death. And they respond, now we know you are demon possessed. And they would argue and bring up a a, a good rebuttal that might win a debate point. They would rebuttal that Abraham died and so did all the prophets. But if someone believes in Jesus, they will not see death. Jesus, you are purely crazy. You are a lunatic. You are demon possessed. And then they pose this question, almost like I think with attitude in verse 53, who do you think you are? And then this is what Jesus says, because he knows who he is. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, my Father, your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, almost as if this is a slap in the face to those who thought they knew God. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be the liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. And you know something? Jesus would invite us into his way of life and he would obey the Father's word. See, to know God is to obey his word. And then Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And at this moment, those listening had probably three emotions going on. Maybe you identify with one. Some of them were amazed. Some of them were puzzled. Maybe that's the one you identify with most. And others, if not all of them, were angered at this moment. Jesus is saying that Abraham saw Jesus before Jesus was ever even on this earth. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, Jesus means that when God came to Abraham and promised that the Messiah would come through Abraham's seed or Abraham's family, that Abraham in that moment believed God, therefore he saw it by faith. He received it by trusting that it was to be as God had said it. He received it by faith. And Jesus in this moment claimed that he is the promised Messiah that Abraham trusted God would bring. The religious leaders now understand what Jesus is saying and they challenge him. They would go on to say, well, they would argue that Abraham has been dead for 2,000 years. How on earth, yet Jesus, you, Abraham and these prophets have been dead for so long. And yet you think, you think, oh, by the way, Jesus, you're, 
less than 50 years old, you're about 31 or 32 years old at this moment. You think that you existed before Abraham? Impossible. Impossible. Not a bad rebuttal for another point by the Pharisees. And what Jesus would say next in verse 58, lands the biggest claim Jesus would make in this setting. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Not I was. Before Abraham was, I am. Underline those two words, I am. Jesus claimed that he existed before Abraham. Not that he was born before Abraham. Jesus claimed to have always been You need to know something. There is no was with Jesus. He is. Therefore, there is only one who has always existed. There is only one eternal. Jesus was claiming to be God by claiming I am. Jesus is not a created being. He is the creator. And the religious elite responded with the crowd, mind you now, in this way. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Why such a extreme response? Why not just label him a liar and not listen to him? Why not just label him a lunatic and ignore him? Why go to the extreme to stone Jesus? Well, within the Hebrew scriptures, which is our Old Testament that we have in the canonized scripture, that Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, contain the origin story of the Hebrew people. In the book of Exodus, we read that Israel was slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years. God in that time raises up a Hebrew man named Moses who used to be in, the Egypt, in Egypt, but now he is outside of Egypt shepherding his family livestock, minding his own business. When God appears to Moses, speaking to Moses through a burning bush, God then directs Moses to go journey back to Egypt, leave the comfort of shepherding the flock, face Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the most powerful country, and command the most powerful man in the most powerful country to let my people go. Knowing that this is a death wish wish for any Egyptian to approach Pharaoh, much less a Hebrew, Moses asks God, who am I? Okay, God, let's get real here. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? See, who am I? Moses knew who he was. His name actually was his identity. Moses means pulled from the water. And if you know his origin story, Moses, you'll remember that Moses was supposed to die with all the infant baby boys, the Hebrew baby boys, because they, the Egyptians wanted to make sure that Israel would not threaten them by the growing population. 
So Moses' mother, in a last-ditch effort to save her son, weaves a basket together, places her unnamed child into this woven basket and places the basket with the child in the Nile River. Moses then is rescued from one of Pharaoh's daughters who then gives him the name Moses, pulled from the water. Moses knows his name. He knows his name means nothing to Pharaoh. But God tells Moses something so important. I will be with you, that he will go with Moses. And this is how Moses replies to God. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am who I am. You need to underline those five words. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am who I am. God is who he is. God has always been and he always will be. God has no beginning, therefore he has no end. He is not created, he is the creator. He is unchanging and he is forever faithful to who he is. I am that I am. And since this time with Moses, the Hebrew people have revered the name of God, I am. Now, God spoke to Moses in Moses' native tongue, Hebrew. I am in Hebrew is transliterated as Y-H-W-H in English. In the Hebrew language, they, the, these vowels were, these, these consonants were directly transliterated as four English consonants. And, and, and in that language, in the original time in that day and age, they didn't include vowels until the 10th century by a group of people called the Masoretes. Now we pronounce this as Yahweh or Jehovah. Each consonant is emphasized in the Hebrew. And so I'm gonna give you my best Hebrew version. It's yud hev vav he yud hev vav he That's why it's more easy to say Yahweh. <laughs> Throughout the Old Testament, whenever Yahweh appears out of respect for the loftiness and the holiness of the name, Jewish tradition from the second century on would insert the Hebrew word for God or the name for God, Adonai. In English, we reflect this tradition and our translators have continued to reflect this tradition. And Yahweh is transliterated into our English Bibles as Lord. This is why it's always capitalized throughout the English translation, just as it was in Exodus 3.15 that you just saw. So every time you see Lord capitalized, the translators are following the tradition that honors God's name, of name. And they replace it with Adonai or in the English Lord. So why this history lesson and why this Hebrew language lesson? Well, it's Yahweh's name is so sacred. and so important to the Hebrews because it's God's name for is, forever. And this is the reason they were ready to stone Jesus. Jesus clearly claimed he was, I am, the holy God with the holy name, which is blasphemy against God.
And in the Levitical law, there was a sentence for blasphemy that we read in Leviticus 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head and the entire assembly is to stone him. And for those that you've heard or those who say Jesus never made the claim to be God, they need to read this passage understanding what it meant to the Hebrew people and see how the Hebrew people responded to Jesus' claim that he made about himself. They knew Jesus made the claim to be God and they called it blasphemy and they were ready to stone Jesus to death. But it's not blasphemy when it's true. Jesus is truly I am, very truly Before Abraham was, I am. Claiming to be Yahweh, claiming to be Jehovah. See, Jesus not only claimed to be from God, but that he is God. Jesus didn't just claim to be the Messiah that would be sent into the world on behalf of God. Jesus made the claim that he was God who put himself in the middle of our problem to be our savior. This is why they eventually crucified him. They, he was eventually killed because of he, his claim to be God. And his resurrection is the evidence that Jesus is not a liar. The resurrection of Jesus is the evidence that he is not a lunatic. The resurrection of Jesus is the proof that Jesus is God. Therefore, he is Lord. This is the series big idea that we're going to journey in. Jesus claims to be God. Therefore, the resurrection is proof that he is is Lord. He is not only a man. He is fully God. And he, and this is so important because if Jesus were only a man, then we are in trouble because we will still be in our sins. And there's no way of being set free then from the curse that sin brings. If Jesus were only a man or just a prophet, then his death could not be the final payment for the pain, punishment of all of our sin. Jesus could not take on that full punishment. Jesus had to come from the seed of Abraham and he had to be fully God. That's why he was born of a virgin and he had to live the sinless life that only God is capable of living. Only God is capable of being holy and sinless. And it's only through who God touches can be made holy and blameless. See, Jesus is God. Therefore, he is Lord. He is the God of the Bible. He is Adonai. He is one with God the Father. He is Lord. And Jesus is Lord is the one thing that unites all true Christians. One cannot be a Christian or call themselves a Christian if Jesus is not Lord of their life. Not only is Jesus Lord, Jesus is our Savior. Yahweh, the God of the Bible, would deliver Israel from Egypt. Eventually, God would raise up a man named Joshua to lead the nation of Israel into the land that God promised to Abraham. Yahweh would save and deliver Israel. Joshua, in the Hebrew language, is Joshua. 
And when the angel would speak to Mary that she would conceive and give birth to a son, she, the angel would say to Mary, you are to call him Jesus. Jesus is the English name, but in Hebrew, Jesus was Yeshua. That is his Hebrew name. Yeshua is Jesus given Hebrew name and it means Yahweh saves. God came into this world to save. Jesus came embodying who God is, a God who saves. So when you ask the question, who is Jesus? You without any doubt can know he is God. And you wanna know who God is, look to Jesus. He's a God who saves. So he came so we can believe in him, so we can have a relationship with him. Jesus came so we can be saved, set free from our sins, not by believing in him and holding on to his teaching. Jesus came so we can experience life forever because God is a life and God does not want us to die in our sin. Jesus wants you to believe in him so you can have life. See, Jesus came so we can live with him forever and he can always be present with us. Yahweh, his name is I am, always present no matter what you go through. He's not bound by time or space and through the Holy Spirit who is alive inside of us who have put our faith in Jesus, God is always with us. I am is present with you. Who is Jesus is the most important question you need to find the answer to. And when you look to him and trust in him, you're going to see that Jesus is from God because he is God and he came to set us free from sin and give us eternal life in him. This is why the name of Jesus is so amazing. This is why I want you, and John would write this so you would put your faith in him. You could put your trust in him because he wants you to know God so you can have life. And there's no greater name, the name that has been forever, And there's no greater name than the name of Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful 